Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hi, this is Tim Venable of Cornet Global. Joining me for this edition of What's Next is Matt Macko, founder of Stoke. Our topic is corporate real estate's place in the ESG equation. Thanks for being here, Matt. And if you would, please introduce yourself and Stoke a little further. Yeah, great. Thanks, Tim. I'm happy to be here. Founded Stoke about 13 years ago in the depths of the great financial crisis. And I don't think ever realized uh, the progress we would make both on the, the fronts of ESG that I'm sure we'll get into, but also in terms of our business and both the growth and, and the impact we've had with our clients. For those who don't know Stoke, uh, we're on a mission to reimagine the built environment. We have assembled a, effectively a, a pretty diverse team of interdisciplinary experts in the built environment, you know, across multiple disciplines, engineering, architecture, finance, et cetera. And we're, our, our real mission is to help owners and occupiers of real estate invest wisely as they go through the process of evaluating opportunities in E, S, and G, environmental and social in particular, are our focus. Okay, great. Well, let's dive into the topic. And here's my first question. Why now? Why are we talking about ESG in this context today? Well, it's a good question. I think there's been a, a really a confluence of circumstances that, that have happened over the last couple of years, but particularly maybe culminated in 2020. I think it was really a, a pretty significant wake-up call. And we've been getting those on the climate front for a while, although I don't know that they've they've really stuck. This year, the focus became, you know, obviously very much on human health, but also on the connectedness of this planet and the connectedness of each of us. You know, obviously the rise of, of the BLM movement, you know, really helped catalyze a, a movement around um, social equity and social justice. And those matters are beyond just a, you know, governmental kind of policy situation. But, you know, when we see that the corporates really uh, have a front and center place in, in leading this, you know, we're also seeing this this rise of stakeholder capitalism. There's a famous letter now, three years in, the, in a row, from from Larry Fink, the head of BlackRock, uh, one of the largest or, or the largest institutional investors, um, that talks about this specifically, and that investments into you know transparency around ESG assets is where they are focused. And, and as a result, you know, the, the world is listening to those words, no different than how the world listens to the Fed or things like that. You know, and, and with that, we've seen these pretty incredible shifts in other industries as well. Now the oil and gas lobby is behind the idea of pricing carbon, federal government's looking at a carbon taxation. And really, this is just a business imperative that has grown alongside the health crisis, the BLM movement, and, you know, kind of what has become a decade plus of, you know, attempts at, at climate action. You know, some crazy stats, you know, companies now 
reporting out on their carbon emissions now you know represent well over half of the global market capitalization you know and things like that stats like that i think really start to turn people's heads and make you know issues that we'll talk about i think in, in more depth here really you know float to the top of importance especially after a year like we had in 2020 exactly now Matt, within your understanding of corporate ESG, what's most material to corporate real estate leaders specifically? Well, real estate is a high cost of capital business and is is almost one of those you know necessary evils within the uh, the corporate world. You know, it's it's not necessarily uh, the primary focus uh, of the business, but it's a necessity. It's a place to house your people. It's a place to demonstrate and show off your culture. And once you think about that through the lens of, of ESG, you start to really hone in on some key issues. I mean, you know, real estate's, you know, share of carbon emissions globally is incredibly significant. Uh, a lot of that's to do with the steel and concrete that goes into buildings. Um, you know, site selection and building orientation uh, are, are opportunities within the E. Uh, and obviously looking portfolio wide at, at energy and, and water spend is, as I think, you know, most people have been talking about for uh, a good while now are all ways in which you can look at what's material to your business. And then, you know, maybe addressing the, the softer uh, side of this and, and the one that's maybe a little bit more difficult to, to put a pin on is, is the social side. And you know, I think this is really again, from my comments a second ago, this has become this human matter that, you know, has, has extended well beyond, you know, both industry, but it's, it's really brought us together uh, as a global population, but we have to do more, right? It's not just the health of people. It's issues like, you know, diversity, it's issues around housing uh, employees and, and the affordability of that housing. It's things like pay equity, and, uh, you know, other issues that real estate execs can, you know, can gravitate and, and grapple with things like disability uh, requirements, uh, you know, for their facilities. I think those are some of the things that become the ones that are material to corporate real estate specifically. I think the, the G side of the equation, the governance side is likely harder uh, for a CRE exec to, to influence. That said, I think that the key aspects around the G, which is around, you know, diversity and transparency and reporting and et cetera, et cetera, are all things that CRE leaders can do within their own facilities and within their own footprint within the organization. So again, reporting to things like CDP, this carbon disclosure project, or, you know, other standards like the UN uh, principles of responsible investing, for instance, or, you know, the task force for climate related disclosures are all opportunities for CRE leaders to participate in a, in a meaningful way and, and, and become, you know, start to think about their impact and how they both benchmark that impact and, and report out on it as, as that becomes, you know, more and more important moving forward. Okay. Excellent. Now, where do you see opportunity in ESG for corporate leaders today? 
Well, I think it just listed off a few there in, in, in I think the E and G, E and S, you know, categories in particular, I, you know, I will say that, you know, looking into the portfolio and ensuring that the, the data tracking uh, around these key metrics is occurring is that famous, you know, line that you can't uh, manage what you don't measure. And I think for, for CRE leaders, this is really an opportunity to do a reset on how they look at their portfolios, how they look at their spend, how they think about connecting capital and operational budgets together, you know, but, but maybe even more so, uh, you know, outside of the obvious, I think around, you know, energy spend and things like that, or are the opportunities within the, the social side is a Edelman report that came out that shows that, you know, the S and the S and G went from, from last place to first place in this past year. So it's really this, this, you know, rise of, of the S that's, uh, that's under, that's, that's happened across industry, but for CRE execs in particular, you know, I think this is an opportunity for them to engage their stakeholders in a meaningful way to understand what's really necessary for them to make the shifts in, in how they do things. You know, there's, a, there's, a, again, a lot of talk about you know, accessibility requirements. Um, there's lots of talk about uh, wellness standards, health and wellness standards. And I think things like that are 100% opportunities that should be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis to see, you know, if it's applicable to, to a portfolio or applicable to, you know, new construction moving forward or renovations, et cetera. My my particular opinion, if if folks are are looking for for value, looking to to not you know necessarily just you know spend money, but actually you know have some sort of return on it, there is there's nothing better than the investment into energy efficiency and renewable energy. Most of the firms that we work with have committed to things like the RE100, which is a corporate uh, commitment to 100% renewable energy. And things like that are, are enormous opportunities for, for corporates to get behind these, these commitments and these pledges, uh, like the Paris Accord and, and again, the UN Principles for Responsible Investment. Okay, great. With MRI, you can bring people back to the office in a way that suits their needs and the needs of the business. Create a safe, flexible, and productive work environment with space planning and reservation tools that empower employees to make optimal use of your workplace. Control the flow of employees and visitors in and out of the office with solutions that give you a full view of who's on site and who's working remotely. Leverage technology to evaluate usage and business demand, optimizing your space, and plan for the office of the future. Now, I think you've addressed a couple of these already, but here's a question. Where should a CRE executive start as they explore the opportunities within ESG? Yeah, we talked about it in the, in the second question in particular, but this this idea of what's material to the organization is is the first question. You really can't start until you understand uh, this idea of what this this framework of materiality. Um, once you understand what's material to the business, what you can control, you know what you need to lean on others to 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 be able to leverage up. Then you can begin the process of data collection in those specific areas and that process in and of itself, you know, is often difficult. There are you know, many technologies out today that, that assist with that, but there isn't a universal solution and, and a lot of it includes really connecting dots between different 
different platforms. But again, you know, you're not you're not able to really have any sort of transparency into your operations and or into how you compare to others and into how you compare with your peers if you're not doing pretty significant data collection across those materiality, you know, categories. Um, the, the third uh, opportunity is to do pure benchmarking, right? Find out, you know, really where you want to shine. There's, there's so many different opportunities within ESG, but I know that it's a very much a focus of CRE leaders to want to, to shine through in key areas and, and want to, to be the best uh, in what they do. And in order to do that, I think that it's, it's important to understand where you can really make your mark and how that mark is going to help with things like, you know, employee attraction and retention. You know, we wrote a white paper about this called the financial case for high performance buildings, but it, it really speaks to, you know, the opportunity within improving facilities for the human occupant and thinking of that as uh, this massive investment opportunity to both increase productivity, to increase pension, and to improve health outcomes uh, across the facilities. And, and you know, net-net, the, the end of the story is that, you know, those investments are uh, way better, way more are profitable, you know, have much more a direct correlation to corporate, you know, net results. If you focus on, on your facilities and you focus on, on how the people uh, in those facilities feel when they walk in, and how that directly correlates into um, how good they can be for your organization, right? Is most of these most of these corporations these days are are largely, you know, most of their value is largely made up from from people. And so, um, I think once CRE leaders really get that and that sinks in, you know, the, the again the rise of the S will become even more important as they start to look into, you know, how they can uh, address um, uh, some of the opportunities in that category. Okay. Now, I remember that excellent report you referenced, the, you know, the financial case for high-performance buildings. That was a great piece of work, and it really prompts my next question here. What's the business case around ESG, and how should CRE execs think about presenting that business case? Yeah, I, I, may, have, I may have already uh, answered the, the, the question, but, you know, the, you know that, that white paper really highlighted a different way to show the business case. I think the business case amongst corporate, you know, CRE uh, leaders is is often done in in pretty simple terms and you know, payback periods and things like that and and um, you know, again there's this pretty significant in my opinion, you know, rift between capital budgets and operational budgets and the the ability to connect those to to have, you know, a more meaningful way to look at what's the future cost of operating these facilities and how can we you know not just think about the lowest cost way to build them but but also the um uh, the lowest cost and and most kind of opportunistic way to run them and so i think presenting that business case requires that you have an understanding of both the capital and operational sides of the business and that you have you know stakeholders alongside you you know other executives who who get that who uh, just get it fundamentally that, you know, we're going to be left holding the bag on this new building. And if it doesn't, you know, deliver on X, Y, and Z in each of the E and S categories, then, you know, we're going to face risks, right? And those risks are real. I mean, those risks are everything from, from new legislation 
you know, to um, again the idea of the, you know the stakeholder capitalism, right? The, the employee demand is is a is a real risk that that folks face, and so you know, getting back to the idea of that uh, presentation, the business case, in my opinion, it's more encompassing than you know we spend this and we get back, you know, this, and therefore the, you know, answer to the equation is, is, you know, uh, a simple measure of either years or, or uh, a percentage type of return. It's really multifaceted. And I would definitely encourage the CRE leaders to read the high performance buildings report to understand uh, how we've thought about, you know, making simple assumptions over the course of a discounted, you know, cash flow type of analysis that can that can be meaningful, you know, over the life life of real estate. It's uh, it's definitely got a long life cycle to it, and um, I, I think we can be doing more. Right. Okay. Now, how do you ensure you set goals that are bold enough to address the urgency and yet still be realistic and achievable? Yeah, it's a good question. The materiality assessment, you know, should really help with understanding, you know, where to start. And and in that, you know, you can you can think about, you know, where you want to be in, in five and, and ten years from now in regards to to those, you know, material uh, aspects of the business. You know, we tend to think in those timeframes just because it takes so much energy to to move you know some of these these topics and and to get these plans in place and to get the you know the the stakeholder buy-in that's necessary to to make change in in an organization you know of the size of some of these corporates and so it's you know for us it's really about first thinking in those terms where do you want to be you know in a decade working backwards and you know slowly, you know, making incremental progress, you, you certainly shouldn't expect to, to be able to make a ton of progress in, in a year to three years. But certainly when you look back in that three to five year time frame, you know, you should be able to achieve, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50%, you know, improvement, you know, over, over a baseline year. That said, there's this idea of stratifying opportunities by not including opportunities that are either costly and or maybe not the right time to to pursue for various reasons and what happens when you when you pursue these these you know low cost you know high return type projects to improve your ESG is that you you leave stranded these you know bigger ticket items that either have longer lead times or longer paybacks you can actually end up getting a, a blended, you know, a blended return, a blended outcome, if you include and think about the opportunities, uh, opportunity set more holistically, right? Think of it as as one big opportunity. Again, thinking in that ten-year time frame, and then thinking, saying, okay, well, we know we want to get in one or two or three years to here, but in order to do so, you know, I don't want to be faced with, you know, needing to address something in year four or five that that may be, you know, infeasible at that time. So it's, you know, it's honestly it's a difficult question. It's really organization by organization dependent, you know, but aligning with, you know, some sort of public standard. Again, I've mentioned a few of them out there, is is probably one of the best ways, just because those public standards have already, you know, provided and outlined a timetable, you know, to be able to make progress. So, um, 
you know, looking, looking that direction or looking to an expert to kind of help you, you know, think through how quickly you can get through these opportunities is probably the way to start. Okay, great. And now, um, Matt, to my last question, what are you most excited about as you look forward into the future of ESG? Yeah, it's a good question. I, um, I mean, I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to the day where uh, organizations really start to, to think about their carbon emissions and the total life cycle uh, of all their impacts. You know, we do work with some groups uh, where they go pretty deep into their supply chain and look for what's what's called scope three emissions, right? It's it's all the emissions that aren't necessarily, you know, direct ones, but that are, you know, somewhat indirect as a result of their operations and their supply chain. And right now, organizations, for the most part, you know, especially the ones that are claiming that they're, you know, carbon neutral or they're, you know, operating off 100% renewable or et cetera, are in some ways, you know, making kind of somewhat disingenuous claims. And so I guess I look forward to the day when it's it's easier and more obvious to both CRE leaders, but really, you know, business as a whole, that, you know, it's a it's a much bigger pie than uh, I think that, that that most people have been realizing. And in order to do that, we really need to accelerate the adoption of technology to help us with this. You know, in, in, in all fairness, we still do a lot of these calculations vis-a-vis, you know, research methodologies and, and vis-a-vis Excel sheets and things like that. When, you know, I see an opportunity into the future where, you know, AI and, and things like that are, are assisting us in seeing beyond, you know, what uh, what's right in front of us, seeing around the corner into, um, uh, you know, dark areas where where we didn't have necessarily light before i think one of those one of those exciting opportunities is in with digital twins uh, of buildings it's called you know four five and sixty modeling buildings and it's essentially the idea that you you know you take this this these plans this this you know um you know revit set if you will and then you turn that into you know this fully encompassing kind of data set and and you know parametric modeling so that you can you know run real-time scenarios uh you know in a model and have all the information have you know all the pump model names and numbers in your you know engineering room and have you know all of the uh you know uh, above uh, ceiling conditions and and below floor conditions all kind of modeled in, in one place and i think that that really offers us the opportunity to do things a lot more efficiently um and again see see, see around the corner you know i i think i mentioned in the beginning some of the commitments right the the you know more than 50 percent of 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 the global market value is already reporting to cdp I I think I'm most excited about the day when when you know this information no different than you know stock price and price to equity and things like that are reported. I, I look forward to that day. I think we're probably you know five to ten years out from from that day, but um, mm-hmm. but it's it's coming. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I mean, you know, it just helps make more informed decisions at the end of the day, right? And and um, we're already starting to see such an increase in investor sentiment and, and investor demand around uh, this type of data. And um, again, it's it's really on business to uh, uh, 
to provide that in a trustworthy way. Okay, excellent. Well, Matt, it's been great talking with you. Uh, thanks so much for sharing the 